Hey, Warners, welcome to another episode of The Women Your Mother Warned You About, brought to you by Sales Gravy. This is Gina Tremarco, Master Sales Trainer and Director of Coaching for Sales Gravy. Ooh, that sounded so lush how that came off your tongue. And I am Susanna <laughs> Gray-Jones, recruitment uh, strategist and owner of Chime Search, and happy to be here for, is this the last episode of this year, but it will be filmed next year? It'll be released um, No, we're actually into the new year already. Ah, lush. I think. I don't know. I don't know Happy where we year. are. Happy, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. It's either the first or second episode. I don't know. I don't know what it is. But what it is, I do know this, because I'm a little lost in the holidays of what day it is of the week and what time it is. But I do know this. I love that feeling. Right? Oh, my gosh. It's so wonderful. I'm thinking, I could live like this when people are like, <laughs> oh, I'd always have to work. And I'm like, it'd be okay not working. It's so I mean, wonderful. Yeah. I've been you, writing. I've, I've been doing a lot of time writing and yeah, I could do this. I can see you doing that. And I think like, especially with old people, this is probably what they feel like, isn't it? When they retire, it's like, I don't know what day it is, but I'm getting up anyway and I'll do what I feel like today. I know a lot of retired people that are busier in their retirement than they were in their work life because they just, wow. they're doing all the things that they didn't have a chance to do while they were working. And Everybody needs an exit plan. And I actually coach people on this when I'm doing my one-on-one -on -one coaching. Um, even with my sales leaders, one of the first things I ask them, even though we're coaching business and sales, um, there's got to be some personal level to it. And what I mean by that is like, what are your personal goals? We can't get to your business goals till I understand your personal goals. And in those personal mm -hmm. goals are your exit strategy goals. Like, what do you plan on doing? when you're done with work? And I know that's like a crazy question. It's like asking a 22-year-old to make investment decisions in their retirement. They're like, I'm too young to think about that. If I were 22 again, I would go back to thinking about investment goals and I would listen to someone tell me that. And I would also think about what's my end game, meaning what do I want to do when I retire? Because we should be doing things that are going to get us there. So that that's a tangent. Mm -hmm. um, but what I really want to get into today is I want this to be a two-part series um, because it's it's the beginning of a new year, because we're, we've got all the hype around the economy and what are people going to do to be prepared for that. And we've been in it for a while, quite honestly, but we, we're starting to see the layoffs coming and like, especially big companies letting go of people. What I've been seeing a lot of on LinkedIn are the phrases quiet quitting and quiet firing. These are two phrases that have come up quite a bit. And then over the holiday, I saw um, this woman had posted how she's been looking for a job for eight months and she's doing all the things she can possibly be doing to find a job, which I felt really bad for her because everybody and their mother responded with the, what are you doing? <laughs> right? All how nice though, right? That people are... Supporting yeah. um, in the LinkedIn community. Yeah. And, and she, but she really, she had actually posted this really interesting, it was a long post of like, here are all the things I've done to try to increase the probability of getting a job. And I was really impressed with what she had been doing. She was, you know, not just randomly sending resumes, but she was doing her homework, her research, researching companies, researching stakeholders, trying to find the right people to, to open the doors for her. And she had done a lot of the right things, but she was really at a point of this frustration 
of of what to do. So I've been seeing a lot of that. And that's a reality that people are out there, you know, losing their jobs. Mm-hmm. But there are also a lot of people out there quiet quitting or being in the process of quiet firing. Yeah, come um, on, explain those. Because when you sent me this article, I didn't have a chance to read it. And I was, yeah, I actually said to my husband and we were like, what is quiet firing? What is quiet fitting? Well, it's, it's interesting because... Quitting. Not fitting. <laughs> I had heard of quiet quitting a few months ago. And this article is actually um, from September 2022. I want to say it was the Washington Post. I printed it out, but now I can't see the... That feels familiar. Good. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was the Washington Post. And um, and the, the title is actually, we've been quiet quitting and quiet firing for years. So... It's just really like they've renamed these concepts. So when you read the description of it, and I'll read you a little bit of the article. Advice, this is an advice columnist, Carla Miller. And she said, here are the key, here are key questions to ask yourself to find out if it's happening in your workplace. So she goes on to say, so the supposedly new trends of quiet quitting and quiet firing have been around for decades under other names. But just because they're nothing new doesn't mean they can't present real problems. If you're an employer, how do you tell the difference between engaged workers setting reasonable boundaries and slackers who are willfully underperforming? So let's talk about the quiet quitting part of it. This is what she's talking about with with as an employer. How do you know? How do you know if an employee is quiet quitting? Quiet quitting is the employee who's doing the bare minimum in their job to keep their job. They're not engaged. They're totally not engaged, but they're going to do the bare minimum so that you can't say you're not doing your job. So that would be quiet quitting. Now, we've seen this. Lucky, lucky that they can do that, right? (laughs) Well, I mean, on my teams, that would never have happened. But in the U, but in the UK too, like um, when it comes to firing, it is not easy. It is a long process. Even even a client of ours that you're you and I worked with together, right? They're they're you know part of their plan for 2023 is hiring some new staff, and you know in in planning out their training plan, like these are the new things I've had to learn about on the other side of the pond. You you can't just let go of people right away, and then. Um, the process that he's going through in hiring is like, well, I, I need so many months for them to give notice, which, right, there's there's a bit of a process here in the in the U.S. We're like, I'm out of here. Yeah, yeah. So if I'm hearing you right, so quiet quitting is when you know that you've got an exit plan, but you're still in the company and you're doing the bare minimum until you get to that point, right? Yes. Yeah. And then quiet firing would be we know that we're getting rid of that person and we know that we're performance managing them and bloody, bloody, blah, but it hasn't quite happened yet. And it's that time in between where it's kind of, they're still there. Yeah. So quiet firing back in beginning of my career, it was called constructive termination. Oh, you couldn't get away with calling it that now, could you? Constructive termination. <laughs> and so, um, and, and, you know, coming through my career, um, as an employee, but also as I came up having to be a leader, um, I had to get really, really familiar with HR law and what was allowed and what was not allowed. And 
Constructive termination is, you know, you could talk to any labor attorney, which I had a labor attorney in my in my pocket on speed dial so that I knew what what was allowed and and not allowed. But when you look at constructive termination or quiet firing, um, these are hostile work environments, frankly. Mm-hmm. These can oftentimes be the way an, an employer gets rid of an employee without coming right out and firing them. Yes. You create an environment that makes you go, I can't do this anymore. Yes. And is that similar? Because I, I remember um, witnessing one situation. This is what's allowed in the UK. You can actually say to someone in HR, um, we are going to take you through performance management. It's unlikely to work in your favor. Of course, you can always resign. That's your choice. So you're kind of like putting it out there without actually telling them you must resign now. It's quite manipulative, right? Very manipulative. And if you look at the two of them, and I was really thinking about this yesterday, so I wanted to talk about it. The two together are dangerous, right? But but to me, there's a higher probability that you would have a combination in an organization that has a bad culture. So think about the employee who's quite quitting. They are totally disengaged for a variety of reasons. Um, we know that people quit bad leaders. So they become disengaged with leadership. They become disengaged with the things that they were promised that they don't get. I remember being passed over for a promotion and then just being like, I don't care anymore because you lied to me, right? Because you, yeah. lose, you lose trust. Like I was, pro- I, I took a lateral move for an organization with the um, promise that I would be next in line for a regional position. It was the only reason why I took the, the position was for the mobility I wasn't getting in my current company. Same industry, but a different company. And so when I got passed up by someone who came in after me, I became really disenchanted. Yeah. And, 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 and going forward, everything going on really felt like a, a constructive termination. Like they wanted me gone. And, and it was interesting because as soon as I left, they replaced me with a friend of the guy who got the promotion I didn't get. Almost too quickly, right? It's, yeah. Um, yeah. Do you know what? It's, it's interesting though. And this is one thing I, I would add to what you've just said. I think, yes, bad leaders are often the reason, more, more than often the reason. But I do think that there are bad recruitment decisions as well. And what I mean by that is failing to see someone who is going to be a quiet quitter wherever they go. And I've learned this. I used to always think it was me. I was a very self-accountable leader and had some very, very toxic employees. And then I used to think it must be me. I must learn from this. Let's see how they get on at their next company. Then I've actually, since working in recruitment, spoken to their next boss who said, no, 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 it wasn't just you, Susanna. They were very toxic. We tried everything too, which was really reassuring for me. But I think, yes, we should should always feel accountable. But I think there are also a lot of people out there who expect the world. I just, I'm just going to say it. They're just lazy. They're just downright lazy. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so that's like the, I think the challenge there, are they slackers or are they completely disengaged? Can you save them and re-engage them? Or should you just come right out and fire them? 
and terminate them and part ways. Um, I talk about Zappos all the time and in Zappos's recruiting plan and how they onboard people, right? They, they put everybody through the same four weeks of training and then at the end, give them an option to leave and like, let us pay you to go away. Maybe this isn't a good fit. So sometimes we do bring on the wrong people and then we try to like make the best of it. So I think it starts with recruiting big time of recruiting the right people. And then you have to have a retention plan in place to retain the right people. But you also need to keep them engaged. What are their personal goals? What are the company's goals? And then how do you make sure that the two align and and line up? I remember this wasn't a job, but it was a client I was trying to get years ago. But at the end of the day, I realized it wasn't a good fit because we weren't aligned with our values as a company. And so I was sort of happy we didn't get the account because I think if we would have gotten the account, it just, we wouldn't have had the best production and output for them because of the alignment. So I think alignment is important. So let me read a little bit on the quiet firing. What if you're an employee and suspect you're being quiet fired, nudged out, and this is how she's defining it, nudged out by a manager who can't fire you, but is making your job increasingly unpleasant and unrewarding. Again, start with a careful look inward. Consider whether it's possible you're underperforming and delivering less or lower quality output than you're being paid for. Check your mental and emotional state and get a second opinion from an outside observer who knows you well, right? Like, is this the story you're telling yourself? Burnout, anxiety, and depression have insidious ways of settling in that are visible to everyone but their hosts. Yes. Such wise words, wise words. A a lot of it is self-awareness and knowing, like you said, that story that you're telling yourself, like get that blind spot, get that person, that trusted friend. And we all have someone like that. We also have the people who we know will tell us what we want to hear. Like, you know, if I say to my husband tomorrow, am I beautiful? He'll be, yeah, you're so beautiful. Um, or do I, does my, do I need to have Botox here or do I need to have my lip fillers here? Uh, no, you're beautiful. Whereas I know, I've got one friend who will tell me, yeah, yeah, you need to sort that out, love. And but she'll say it in a lovely way. And those people are the people everyone needs in their life. But I'm not talking about your face. I'm talking about your, your drive, your personality yeah. and your tendencies because no one's perfect. I I come to you for things like that, like not my Botox, but um, <laughs> but I will ask you, you know, for your impression or perception, because I can't always see it when I'm in it. I think it's important to have someone that, you know, is going to tell you the truth in their opinion. Now, you know, your opinion, good or bad, might still not be accurate either, right? Because there's going to be bias involved no matter what. So finding someone, you know, I think that having a coach is important. That's why I have a coach because I can go to that coach and say, okay, tell me in your opinion because I can't see clearly. Right. So I think it's important to have a critical friend. Yeah. To have someone like that. So it goes on. If you think you're performing as well as ever, but your manager still seems dissatisfied, make clear that you want to succeed. Ask for quantifiable measures of what constitutes good work so you and your manager can see when you're hitting those objective marks. 
this may not be enough to win over a manager who really wants you out. But if months or years of managerial, get this, gaslighting have left you wrestling with self-doubt, it can be empowering to see that your performance is not the problem and the outcome of this silent standoff is out of your hands. So, so that word gaslighting, when I saw that, I'm like, yes, this is because when we really start to look at if you have a manager that is just never happy with you and they really want you gone, but they and I want to talk, go back towards a manager who can't fire you because that's a whole nother Pandora's box. The gaslighting goes hand in hand with the narcissism. Right. And, mm-hmm. and the higher you up as a leader, the, the chances of your narcissism is higher. Um, wanting things. Think? Yeah, absolutely. Because it goes hand in hand with emotional intelligence, right? We know that middle managers um, have the highest emotional intelligence versus C-suite. Really? I never knew that. I never knew that was a a, a tendency or a statistic. Yeah. And I, and I think I got that out of um, Daniel. I think it was out of Daniel Goldman because he's huge into EQ um, mm-hmm. or, Travis, or Travis Bradbury. So those are the two the two EQ go-tos that I go to. So it makes a lot of sense because the middle manager is the most connected yeah. to the culture, yeah. right? The And this is not a diss to, to up, you know, the C-suite. It's just that the higher up you are, the bigger visionary things you're working on. So you're not really in it to be as, as aware, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so the likelihood of some narcissism can creep into that it makes sense it makes perfect sense so i guess the the first the first point then is is if you think it's happening to you is to figure out if it is you and then to have that difficult conversation which you just explained because i think the way you structure that conversation or the way that, that article structured the conversation it makes perfect sense but what i find is I advise people of this all the time, but actually sitting down and having that conversation can be difficult. And what I mean by that is that the boss can often try and avoid it, the avoidant boss who will find an excuse mm-hmm. not to have that conversation, or the person is just so intimidated, lacking so much confidence, feeling so threatened that they're going to lose their role that they just do not want to have that conversation. And that I believe that happens more than 50% of the time that that conversation just yeah. is the biggest hurdle for some people. Yeah, 100%. So I I look at this like, um, it's like being in a bad marriage. Yes. Quite quitting individuals and quite firing managers. That combination is so lethal because it is like a bad marriage of passive aggressiveness that is going on on both sides, especially the intentional quiet quitter. Right. They are. That is a passive, in my opinion, I'm not a psychiatrist, but that is a passive aggressive behavior, as is quiet firing, Mm -hmm. doing things that um, are manipulative and toxic and self-serving is also passive aggressive. It is just a dangerous relationship. Yeah, exactly. It's laying out the communication from the beginning. And often these kind of conflicts are lack of communication or lack of understanding um, and assuming how often do we assume that that boss wants us gone they might not want you gone they might just have a different preference again love language career language what's your career language I like to be told well done all the time okay some people don't want that they're like why are you praising me 
<laughs> why aren't you praising me now? Um, we have to understand that our career language is compatible with the people that we're working for. And if it's not to understand what their intentions are behind the way that they manage you, because that's where a lot of it is lost in the very beginning. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there's a whole piece on that. But I think ultimately, and my advice would be to people, if you are trying to find a new job and you want to avoid silently quitting or you want to avoid silently firing someone, is just really invest time in the onboarding. And I don't just mean the training yeah. and all of that. Yeah. Set out a code of this is what happens. This is what's expected of you. If you don't meet these standards, then, you know, we want to work with you at first. We want to see the attitude from you at this point that you are willing to learn. If we don't see the attitude, then it becomes a performance issue. We will make you aware of this along the way. You've got to obviously do it in a way that doesn't scare that person off before they start the job, but they have to understand because otherwise they'll be like, huh? You want me gone? What's going on? I think it has to be a good fit. It's sort of like um, anytime you, you know, you're out there looking for a job, you know, one of the pieces of advice you get is like, you're interviewing them just like they're interviewing you, which is true. Like you need to know if you're going to fit there and you have to do your homework versus that desperation, right? Like when we get desperate in sales, like I'll take any deal. Um, <laughs> I, I see some people on LinkedIn really starting to get like I've had, I've seen people say like, I'm getting desperate. Those they're like, they're literally saying I'm desperate mm -hmm. for a job. Like, I don't know what to do. And people are going to smell that and then not want to hire them. And then we've all heard the old adage of like, it's easiest to get a job when you already have a job. Right? People don't want to see, um, you know, they start to question like, oh, why don't you have a job? Yeah, that's the first question employees do actually ask. If I've got someone who's readily available, they will automatically see that as something that's not great. Yeah. In 2008 and nine, I, I think people were able to get away with it because the economy was so bad. Um, and now in, in this current economic climate, they say unemployment is low. So there's supposedly more jobs than people. But I also think that the, another key phrase, the great resignation, right? The, the, you got quiet quitters and then you've got people like, I know someone who just like left his job with no job lined up. And I'm like, but why? Why are you doing that? And are you, you, do you realize that you might not look employable? I don't know. Yeah. Well, I would, I would argue with that because if I, I've never done it before, but if I was in a role and I was, it was actually upsetting me to the point that every day was a struggle, I might not be in the right mindset to look for another job. So yeah. I would actually, as a recruiter, you know, Yes, employees will ask, why do they leave a job with that ending to go yeah. to? But, uh, you know, it's my job as a recruiter and your job as someone who wants to be recruited to give them valid reasons why. And that is something that people will accept, but they would be wrong not to ask the question, right? Yeah. Because not many people leave without something to go to. I want to go back to what you said about onboarding. What are some things that employers can do to properly? on board because in my opinion I, I see I don't see a whole lot of companies that properly on board to create the engagement right away. Well I talk a lot about this in my training and I think we always talk about the competency framework but I think it's making sure that that is aligned into the job description so it's something that they see before they even start so they can see the values 
but not only to just outline the values that we have responsibility to our employees. We want employees to feel equal, diversity, all those things, great points, but give examples to them of what that looks like and what they can expect in their role. Um, to give realistic feedback from people, to tell them stories about when it went right for someone, but also tell them stories about when it didn't work out. Um, because people don't do that. They just try and sell the dream so much that they forget that they talk about when it doesn't go right. And I hate to say it, and this makes me sound bad as a recruiter, but most of the time, especially in sales, when people are recruiting, the minute they've made that appointment, they're like, they're going to be the best person in the world. And most of the time, there's an element of, well, yeah, they're good. They're good. They're not sort of as amazing as they thought they and hoped they could be. Because as human beings, we have that positivity, the new, fresh, new, exciting. Um, and I think there's an element of that when people get the job as well. So I would encourage, first of all, people to go in and spend the day there, go and see the company, get a feel for the company, see what a real day looks like if you can do that. Um, I think have a tick list, something that they agree to. So it's like a contract, but it's not a legal contract. It's more of a mindset contract. Mm -hmm. This is how we manage. And this is what you've agreed to do. So if it does get to three months down the line and you've set out those competencies of working well as a team, being positive, not gossiping, those types of things, then you can use examples to say, when you came here, these are the, they, these are things that we set for you that would, would be, um, agreeable. And you, this is what we've seen. Let's talk about it. So you're not suddenly having a disagreement of what was initially agreed. Yeah, so that's having upfront open communication. That's why that's why I have this I relate it back to um to marriage and I never thought that I would <laughs> find so many positive things about a divorce, but having gone through a divorce, I see the positive sides of like what I could do differently in a relationship where I've made a commitment to perform in this relationship and it always is going to come back to really open, constant, and candid. I should come up with something. What did I say? Open, constant, and candid. And candid. I'm, I'm going to say consistent, constant, and and candid conversations. Yeah, the three C's. Like, this has to be constantly. Can you just add caring to that as well? Oh, I love it. Yes, four C's. Consistent, <laughs> caring, candid. Now I've lost track. Consistent. Anyway, there's a and lot consistent. of C's. Uh, consistent, caring, candid, and caring. Consistent, candid, caring, and I think constant. I think that was yeah. my fourth one. Okay. So the these have to be happening at all times. Like my husband and I have constant conversations about everything. And the second one of us, like I just had a conversation with him this morning about something that I'm like, got to get this off my chest right away. I don't let anything... I go and like, and he doesn't either. And then we clear the air and it's like, we realign, we resync. Um, sometimes we may have had different expectations and then we sometimes don't even understand our own expectations or our own needs until we go through a process. And I think that happens too in a company. You know, you think you need certain things as the employee and then as you grow into that company and into that role, you realize other needs that come up. 
And when that happens, you know, that wasn't because I used to say to my employees, I'm like, can you just be interview you again? Right. The person that was so excited to be here. And now I can look at it and go and I need to be interview me as a leader. But there are going to be changes on both sides. And that's where the communication piece has to come into it. So you talked about having a tick list for an employer. What about a tick list for an employee coming in? Yeah. And they they need to be aligned. I mean, don't get me wrong. Um, I think an employee coming in should have a tick list. But I also think that a lot of people come into new roles, sometimes expecting too much. I know this is going to make me unpopular with some listeners, but I think we do have a millennial movement where people want there. There's a majority of people who want something for nothing and they're not accountable for anything. For example, there are so many people who would prefer to, even if they could afford to set up on their own, they prefer to work for someone because they just don't want the responsibility of it. And they know they can get away with more if they're working for someone. Now, I mm-hmm. sound so negative because I don't think everyone's like this, but I think if it's done in the right way, a tick list for employees and it's done cleverly in a way that can almost discount them or qualify them for the job because they know that they can meet their needs as well. I think it can yeah. be magical. I think it goes both ways. Sure has. I, I think, I don't know, I could be wrong. I think it's going to be the most effective if, if the culture is very clear from the onset and the onboarding of this is how we operate. Mm-hmm. These are the expectations. Let's talk about how you operate and your expectations and then mm-hmm. ask behavioral questions around that in the interview process to mm-hmm. see if they are a good fit because you will have people who are going to sell you a bill of goods to get the job. But mm-hmm. to really recruit properly, you got to put them through, an, I think, an arduous screening process to make sure that they're yeah. being honest with themselves. Yes. A lot of people who are being recruited will avoid the companies that put them through a really long-winded interview process. And to me, that says more about the person being employed than the employer. I think it's important. I think it's really important. I think like, yeah, also going back to what you said, I know we're going to talk a bit more about trying to find a job shortly, but I really want to say to people, if you are interviewing for a role, there are some really good questions that you can ask your employer, such as ask them about their retention Ask them if I was to hear something unfavorable about you or your reputation, what would that be? And why would people think that? Because I've got a wonderful client at the moment that on Glassdoor has a few negative comments about being a bit of a a drinking culture or a boys club. And they will be honest about that to anyone who asks them and they will tell them where it came from. They'll probably alleviate those concerns. But if people don't ask and they discount them without even asking them, then you could be missing out on a great company. So what I would say to that is confront them now. Don't wait until you're in there. And then suddenly you're like, oh, because then it looks worse. (laughs) It looks worse having that conversation when you started the job, opposed to before you start the job. So do your research and ask them why people might not want to work there and why some people weren't a good fit. And what yeah. you can do to make sure you're the right fit. Such powerful questions. I, I want to go touch back on, which is great, great advice and pro tips for everybody um, that Susanna just gave us. But I want to go back to this comment that she says in the article, nudged out by a manager who can't fire you. Can't fire you. So that for some reason, just like, 
warning bells went off for me. So when I hear can't fire you, and obviously laws are different in the UK than they are in the US, I would encourage you as a manager or a leader to like really look at what is that, what does that mean? Because I think there are scenarios where an employer feels that legally firing you is going to cause them. I, I mean, I've been on the leader end of this, of we can't fire this person because she's pregnant. I, I actually, um, I, I know someone who went through that situation. He had a pregnant employee in a union situation and he wasn't even trying to fire her, but she was claiming constructive termination because mm-hmm. she was pregnant. Right. And so, you you know, those scenarios come up or were advised, you know, I was advised not to terminate someone because they, I don't even think in the U.S. he this fell into a protective category uh, and, and things continue to change. So I'm not, I am not up on HR law. I'm not an attorney. Let me put that out there right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but at this, this time it was a, a white man in his fifties and it was considered I'm not even sure if it was considered a protective class, but there are classes that are protected from wrongful termination. And so to avoid a lawsuit, employers will keep those employees, but make it miserable for them Mm -hmm. because they feel like they can't fire them. Again, I'm not an attorney. You're not an attorney. But, you know, I guess the way I would look at this is if we were in a really bad relationship or a bad marriage, at some point, we're going to have to sit down and go, listen, you're not happy here. We're not happy. You're not happy. How do we come up with an amicable split on this for you to move on and for us to move on because it's not a fit? I don't know if that's a legal conversation you can have. I'm not claiming like, again, that I know the law, but from a yeah. common sense human perspective, wouldn't that make more sense? I think so. But then it does also open the doors to discrimination and things like that. So for example, yeah. in the UK, the law is, or it certainly was before I um before I started my own business, the law was that if you work somewhere for two years, then you can't fail someone unless you put them through a process. So like it once they've worked for you for two years, you have to go through performance management on like a, a bigger scale. So what you would then see is people getting disciplinaries, two disciplinaries, and then they'll normally leave before they get fired because they can see it coming. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could argue that that is the same, but at least as a framework, because the problem is, is if, if you do have a situation where you're like, you're not happy, I'm not happy, let's agree, then... What power does the employee have? They can't say, well, no, I am happy. I want to stay. They don't. (laughs) It's just like you've basically just been fired on the spot and it could be because you're pregnant or it could be because you have been bullied or you, I don't know, you didn't sleep with the boss. (laughs) You just don't know. That that's. I agree with your point, but I just think it does open a load of HR. Yeah. Which to me, again, it goes back to the proper recruiting. And that's tough. You know, I'm a professional recruiter. I make a living from being a recruiter. And even though I probably say about 97% of the time, it works out. And when I say works out, the person stays for at least a year and builds, builds a successful career for themselves. You do get the odd one that they just, it 
it just doesn't work out for whatever reason. And it, it, they thought it was something it wasn't. Um, and that again comes down to let them work there for a day. Because I genuinely think that if these people have worked there for a day, seen it in its real sort of environment, then they might not have taken the job and they yeah. might have taken the employee. But meanwhile, a day might a day might not be enough, right? Because like anything, there's a honeymoon phase where everything's is fantastic until yeah. it's not. But that's why we have probations, right? Like you should yeah. be able to, you know, I think you should know by six months. You ha- if you don't know by six months in, then you haven't been managing that employee closely enough. And that's when you should manage them. Because you can manage someone really closely at the beginning and they won't raise an eyebrow. But if you start managing them really closely later on, then suddenly they're not going to perform in the way that you want them to because yeah. they're like, huh? Huh? What's going on here? It's too late. Yeah. You need to start off as in, in the most close, supportive way as you can. I think that's a really good point. I have through years coached a number of people where the the leader is involved as far as like I report back to the leader on what's going on in the coaching of that employee. And sometimes the leader will come back with like, you know, they should be, they should already be producing and we should already see results. They've, they've been at it for three months and where are the results? And I've had to come back and go, okay, slow down. Let me show you where you went wrong as a leader. You keep giving them rabbit holes to go down that have actually slowed them down. You um, did not have uh, your CRM set up properly and that became an obstacle for them. Like we, our job is to clear those obstacles as leaders, right? Here are a number, th- I'm like, yeah, the results are not as fast as you want them to be, but here are the reasons why. And I'm not trying to take the side of the employee. I have a job to coach that employee, but I also have a job to report back to leadership. And, you know, outside looking in, I can at least coach them around those things. Whereas, yeah. you know, if a company has not employed a coach to help them with that, then they're going to have to be super hyper aware, which goes back to how important emotional intelligence is. And if you're a C-suite leader who might be a little bit removed from self-awareness and more importantly, social awareness of the larger organization, you're, you're going to miss things and then you're going to make assumptions. And your assumptions, the employees are going to pick up on those vibes that you've made false assumptions and then the employee feels it and then the employee starts quiet quitting. Like it's just, it's just a cycle Mm-hmm. It's such an emotional cycle. And I want to go back to reading the rest of this quiet quitting part before we wrap this up. But quiet quitting, um, she goes on and says, employers looking at empty offices on Fridays are noticing a distinct lack of after hours chatter on the on the intranet, maybe thinking it's quiet, too quiet. They may be concerned that their employees are taking advantage of remote work and flexible scheduling to do less than an honest day's work for a full time's pay. But a lack of performative round the clock noise doesn't mean work isn't getting done. Firming up boundaries between work time and personal time may look like slacking off or it may mean workers are ensuring that they are bringing their full undiluted focus to work tasks and then doing the same for their leisure time. Working differently doesn't mean working less. Quiet quitting isn't really about quitting. So here are some signs. Employers with concerns about quiet quitting should ask themselves, okay, these are the signs. Is the work we pay for getting done? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. Do we have do we have relevant, quantifiable measures in place 
to judge the quality of that work. And finally, if the output is good by those measures, does it matter where, when, and how it's getting done? Obviously, missed deadlines, dissatisfied clients, and unfulfilled demand are objective output problems that need addressing. And if it turns out that the office presence and after hours engagement are essential to maintaining high quality output, employers should be able to explain why. Problems with work output may be due to causes outside employees' control, which is why when noting performance issues, it's important to ask employees for their perspective. Their responses should make clear whether it really is a matter of disengaged workers phoning it in or something larger and more systemic. Mm, I like that. I was just thinking about my cleaner the other day. I said to my husband, I pay her for two hours and she only worked for, what was it, 90 minutes or something the other day? And he said, was the job done? And I said, yeah, it was immaculate. And he said, then be quiet. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. So now I just give her more to do. I just give her more tasks to do. And she does a great job. Never was her attitude bad. Never was her work bad. And I could have gone down a complete road of making her feel like she was not appreciated. And actually, it was just a communication thing. She didn't tell me that I can get everything you've asked done in an hour and a half. Now mm. it works. She works two hours and I get more done. Win-win. Well, maybe yeah. not win-win. Maybe not win-win for her because <laughs> she's working the whole two hours. But you know what I mean. It's it's. Uh... Well, I mean, it's a similar it's a similar situation. If you, as her manager, right? If you put it in that kind of perspective, if you, as her manager, are not are not communicating all that needs to be done, yeah, she may not have the initiative to go outside of the box. And this is why we yeah. all need. This is why we all need structure. And expectations yes. set for us. Um, we know we as do. humans, as humans, we're wired for the need for that. So, good, good on him, good on your husband for for noticing that. Yeah, and it saved me a lot of headache because finding someone new is, you know, what I was willing to do. But let's face it, we can just make it easier for ourselves. Yeah, you were getting aggravated with I'm paying you for two hours. You should be doing two hours of work. And she's like, I'm not quite sure what else I should be working on. But if you give it to me, then I will do it. Um, It's the same. It's the same thing with managing employees. It happens all the time. Set set the expectations. So that that's um, I I just wanted to kind of talk about that quiet quitting, quiet firing. It's been around for a long time. It's nothing new. It just has new names. But I thought it was a good conversation to have. Yeah, I love this conversation. Considering what's going on in the world and people complaining about not having employees or people complaining about the companies that they do work for, I think my my takeaway is the four C's that I came up with for um, conversations, caring, consistent, constant, and candid conversations yeah, that, to the be four having. four C's that, that we came up with. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, three plus one. There we go. Don't forget. Don't forget about me. (laughs) How can I forget about you? And by the way, what's this new podcast called that you're launching and when does it launch? Oh, thanks for dropping it in. Um, So I'm a a passionate recruiter and I really want to see more recruiters out there get more support and find out the tricks that will really upskill them to be the best recruiters they can possibly be. Um, so I've got some amazing names 
the top books out there in recruitment that are life changing to people's careers. I've got them to come and interview with me. And the podcast is launched at the end of January and it's called The Counter Offer. The Counter Offer with Susanna Gray Jones. Yeah. Few podcasts coming soon to all the places where you get your podcasts, just like this one. Awesome. Yeah. This was a super fun conversation. Um, this is part one of a part two series that we're doing on recruiting and um, searching and all the things employment. So um, any final words from you, Susanna, before we we sign off? No final words. But I think one thing I would say to everyone out there, if you do feel like you are silently quitting um, or you feel that you are in a role where you just think, do you know what? Like, you, I can genuinely tell you it might feel like the best option to just stay put. But my advice would be, honestly, get on the road, start trying to find something that will not make you feel like you have to do the bare minimum every day. And that we will talk about in the next episode. Fantastic. Hey, Warners, thank you for listening to this episode of The Women Your Mother Warned You About, brought to you by Sales Gravy. And if you want to up your game so that you don't get quietly fired or put yourself in a position of quietly quitting, head over to salesgravy.university and get some skills, maybe just enhance some skills you already have. But this is a great time to do. So go check that out, salesgravy.university. And to check out uh, Suzanne and I, you can go to womenyourmotherwarnsyouabout.com to find out more information about us and Sales Gravy. We're out of here. See you on the next episode, the part two series of this. Bye. I'm not an attorney. I'm not a psychiatrist. Again, I'm not an attorney. You're not an attorney.